We were there in Isaiah chapter 20, and it's only six, uh, six verses, very short chapter, but a very unique chapter in Scripture. I don't know if you were paying attention as we were reading it, but it's kind of an interesting uh, little story here about the prophet Isaiah. And uh, tonight, uh, there's three kind of truths that I find in this chapter that I want to sh- uh, uh, share with you, and there are three things that we should be ashamed of or that make us ashamed or that we could be ashamed of. Maybe not necessarily that we need, some of them we need to be ashamed of, some of them we don't need to be ashamed of. And the first one, let's just deal with the uh, most obvious one and one kind of stands out. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, in the year of Tart, in the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod. Now, Ashdod was a province of the Philistines. Remember, the Philistines had five Areas. They had five lords of the Philistines that uh, we're often told about would battle with the children of Israel. Ashdod was one of those five. And the Bible says that when Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday nights as we've been studying the book of Isaiah, you will remember that Assyria is kind of the bad guy right now. He, Assyria is the nation that is bringing the impending doom. They're coming to destroy the nation of Israel, the nations of of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the Bible says, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him. Now the him that he sent there is is, uh, Tartan, who came, notice what it says, verse 1, and fought against Ashdod, and notice this, and took it. So here's what you got to understand. Ashdod is one of the neighbors of Israel. It's one of the neighbors of Judah. It's very close in, in, in proximity to them. And the king of Assyria has gone in and has taken the land of Ashdod uh, captives. They took the land, they took them over. Now notice what God has Isaiah do in verse number 2. At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, go, now notice what he says, go, and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoes from thy foot. And he did so, notice what Isaiah did, walking naked and barefoot. Now that's odd. In verse 3 the Bible says, And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian prisoners and the Ethiopians captive, young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. And the first shame that we kind of find in this passage uh, is the shame of nakedness. And we see here in this passage, and you got to understand this, this was not a positive thing for Isaiah. And I, I'm going to get through this point and I'm going to explain to you why God is having Isaiah do these things. But before we even get into that, let me just give you the disclaimer and lay the foundation. In the Bible, you will often find these words associated together. Shame and nakedness. And God here even tells us that Isaiah was commanded to take off the sackcloth from his loins and to have his buttocks uncovered. But it was to the shame. It was not something to be proud of. It was, the word shame means humiliation or 
embarrassment. And, and you need to understand this because today our society has a different definition for uh, nakedness than what the Bible defines as nakedness. And let me just show you uh, some examples. Well, the first one we find here in, of course, Isaiah chapter number 20. Look at verse 2. There are basically three areas, as you study the Bible, there are three areas in the human body that God defines as nakedness. Some of them are pretty obvious, but some not so much. The first one, if you look at verse 2 there, at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go, loose the sackcloth from off thy loins. And the Bible says, When he loosed the sackcloth from his loins, and he put off thy shoes from thy foot, he did so walking naked and barefoot. So when his loins were exposed, uh, then he was naked. Now, most people will agree that your loins are nakedness, all right? Um, Your loins are the part of your body that is, follow this, okay, because I don't want to get very descriptive, they're the part of your body that is below your waist, between your hips, and above your thighs. You got it? It's, it's what? Your reproductive organs. It's what uh, people would consider your private area. And I don't want to get into any more details than just that. But that's what God considers your loins. Now, today our society, uh, at least to this point, I think, still agree with the Bible that that is nakedness. And the Bible teaches that that is nakedness. Keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter uh, 20. But go with me to Exodus 28. Let me just give you a few verses about this idea of nakedness. Because today there are people who do not understand what the Bible defines, even Christians do not understand what the Bible defines as nakedness. Now, I would hope that everyone would agree your loins are nakedness. All right. I think everybody would agree with that to this point. Look at Exodus 28, verse 42. Keep your finger on Isaiah 20. That's our text for tonight. uh, And we'll be heading back there. Exodus 28, second book in the Old Testament. Exodus 28, look at verse 42. When you get to Exodus 28, keep your finger or a bulletin or something there because I want you to notice a couple of things in Exodus 28. Verse 42, the Bible says, this is God speaking to the priests. And he says, thou shalt make them linen breeches. Now the word breeches there would be our word breeches, which are pants. So God commanding the priests to put on a pair of pants. He says, thou shalt make them linen breeches. Notice, what is the purpose of the breeches? To cover their nakedness, all right? Now, God is going to define for us what that nakedness is. Notice, from the loins, which would agree with Isaiah 20, I don't think anybody disagrees that your nakedness is your loins. But let me show you one part that God considers nakedness that today our society does not consider nakedness. Notice, uh, Exodus 28:42, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even unto the, make note of this word, thighs, they shall reach. Notice when God said, I want you to cover your nakedness, God said, I want you to cover your loins, that area below your waist, you know, between your hips, above your thigh, that all of us, your reproductive organs, all of us would agree, oh yeah, that's nakedness, that needs to be covered. But notice what God also included in that uh, idea or the concept of nakedness. He said, I want you to cover your nakedness from your loins, he says, even unto the thigh. In the Bible, God defines the thigh as nakedness. He says, I want you to cover your thigh. Go back to Isaiah, but don't go to chapter 20. Uh, Go forward to Isaiah 47. Let me give you another example of this in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 47. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? You walked into a Baptist 
church. And even more than a Baptist church, you walked in into a fundamental Baptist church. And even more than that, you walked into an independent fundamental Baptist church. You say, what does that mean? Those words don't mean anything to me. Here's what that means. We are biblicists. The Bible is our authority. What the Bible says goes, and that's what we preach. We don't preach the fashions of this world. We don't preach the times of this world. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Bible says. So let me explain to you what the Bible defines as nakedness. Isaiah 47, look at verse 1. Isaiah 47 and verse number 1. We saw from Exodus 28... And verse 42, that God considers your loins and your thighs nakedness. Let me show it to you in another passage, Isaiah 47. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Now notice verse 2. Take the millstone, grind the meal. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg. Now notice this phrase, uncover the thigh. Do you see that? Uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers, verse 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Now if you go back to verse 2, what was uncovered? The thigh. He says, uncover the thigh, and he says, when you uncover your thigh, here's what you uncovered. Verse 3, thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame. Notice that word shame. Notice how in the Bible, nakedness and shame are associated together. He says, thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The Bible defines, not society, the Bible defines, not American culture, the Bible defines, not what we do in California, the Bible defines your loins as nakedness, and we would all agree with that. But the same Bible that says your loins are nakedness, says your thoughts or nakedness. So when you expose your thigh, guess what you're exposing? Your nakedness. That's why we believe the Bible teaches that as Christians we ought not expose our thighs. That's why we believe the Bible teaches it's wrong for a young lady or a lady to put on a short skirt, a mini skirt. You say, what's wrong with a mini skirt? Does it expose your thigh? Well, yeah, you can see my thigh. Well, if you can see your thigh, then you ought to be ashamed because the Bible says that's your nakedness. We think it's wrong. The Bible teaches it's wrong for a young lady to put on short shorts that expose your nakedness. Hey, look, anything that reveals your thigh, a bathing suit, if it reveals your thigh, it's nakedness. Now look, you're saying, I've never heard this before. I've never heard anybody say this. But you've got to understand this. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what our American culture teaches. All that matters is what the Bible says. And Paul told Timothy, preach the word. He said, be instant. If it's in season, if it's out of season, he said if it's popular, if it's not, the Bible says that your thighs are your nakedness. That's why it's our stand that, and by the way, it's for men and women. You guys that want to wear your little shorts with the stripe down the side from the 70s and they expose your thigh, you ought to get some longer shorts. Why? Because if we can see your thigh, according to the Bible, we can see your nakedness. And it ought to make you ashamed. See, you say, well, your loins are your nakedness, but the Bible says your thighs are your nakedness. Go back to Isaiah chapter 20, look at verse 4. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse number 4. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 4. 
You say, Pastor Jimenez, if we wear shorts that expose our thighs, are you going to kick us out of the church? Look, you've got to understand this about the Bible. It is our job to preach the Bible. It doesn't make a difference to me what you do at home. You understand that? I'm not, I'm not to lord over you. It doesn't matter. Look, if, if I'm out at Walmart and you're out in a, and you're, you know, one of you guys is out jogging and you put on your little shorts from the 70s and I see you at Walmart and you got those shorts riding up and I can see your thigh, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, criticize you, okay? <laughs> Judge you, okay? I'm not going to sit there and, look, what you do is your business, but here's what we got to understand. The Bible teaches that exposing your thigh is nakedness. Exposing your loins is nakedness. Go to Isaiah chapter 20. Let's talk about this one. Verse number 4. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian prisoners and the Ethiopians captive, young and old. Notice, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. You would say, well, pastor, that's obvious. If your buttocks are uncovered, then, uh, then you would be naked. You know, it's not as obvious as you think. Does it, do you know what this uh, phrase means, situational ethics? Today we are, thought, we, are, we are taught this idea of situational ethics. Here's what that means. Something may be right in one situation, but it may be wrong in another situation. Now, you've got to understand this. They'll say, well, in this context, this is okay. But in this context, it's not okay. Or in this environment, it's good. But in this environment, it's not good. Now, you've got to understand this, okay? And, and people often say, you start going to that church, you know, uh, they, they start teaching you all sorts of crazy things. You need your mind to be cleansed. The Bible says, that we are to renew our minds. See, you got to understand this. Our society and our culture has taught us to think a certain way. And the way that we've been taught to think has brought you down the road that you're in. It's brought you to the problems that you have. That's why you're in debt. That's why your marriage is falling apart. That's why your kids are rebelling. Because our society is trying to destroy your life. So when the Bible is presented to you and you have a new thought and a new idea, and you're like, wow, I never thought of that before. Hey, you ought to embrace that because we need our minds renewed. Today we have standards that are based on situations. Here's, here's the point. If a young lady were to walk through those doors tonight in her undergarments every, and, and just walk up this way and sit down in that front row and she raised her hand and said she needed a bulletin and she raised her hand and said she needed a Bible, every single one of you would do exactly what we're talking about this morning, right? And you should. You'd be doing it righteously. You start judging. What is wrong with her? She can't walk in here with, you know, no clothes on. I mean, look at her. She's exposing her thigh and she's exposing her, you know, she's just walked in here and undercover. But here's the thing. If, if we were to change the context and we were at the lake, if we were to change the context and we were at the pool, Amen. if we were to change the context and we were at the beach, all of a sudden, the exact same clothing, the exact same apparel, all of a sudden, now it's acceptable. All of a sudden, now it's okay. Let me tell you something. God does not believe in situational ethics. If it's wrong at the side of the pool, if it's wrong at the beach, if it's wrong in the church house, it's wrong everywhere. Amen. You say, well, who exposes their buttocks? The average bathing suit exposes your backside. And you say, well, I don't think you should be preaching. Look, you're the one that showed up for Isaiah chapter 20, not me. <laughs> I, preached, I preached a nice sermon last week. You missed it. But the Bible calls these things nakedness. They're wrong. And there was a time in our society when women would not expose their thigh. 
And, and, and you understand, you, you think, oh, well, no one's looking at me. Listen to me. Wait, and, you, and you guys, you know, you, you say, well, I can go down to the beach and I'm not going to lust after anyone. Look, every man that is a man is going to lust after a woman that's dressed properly. And if you're not lusting, you've got bigger problems that we have to deal with, okay? So here's the thing. It's not right. It's not okay. It's not good for a young lady to dress. The Bible says that we are to dress, that you should dress modestly, that you should dress in a way to not bring attention to yourself. And we need to get back to an idea that we ought to be ashamed of our nakedness. And you ladies, whether you want to admit it or not, you know this is true. The first time, you might have been five years old, you might have been 15 years old, the first time that you put on a bikini, and you went, out, you went out in public, you know that you were embarrassed. You know what that's called? Shame. And after a while, you're just kind of like, well, everybody else is doing it. Well, it must be okay. And the Bible calls it this. You lost your ability to blush. There are some things that it's okay to be ashamed of. You ought to save your body for your husband. You ought to save your body for your wife. You ought to save your body for, for, for the person that God designed. So it is our stand, and what I mean by that, it is our teaching that you ought not expose your loins. It is our teaching that you ought not expose your buttocks. And it is our controversial teaching that you ought not expose your thighs, because God considers those your nakedness. And by the way, let me say this. You know, ladies have this idea. Okay, well, the Bible says that I have to uh, cover my thighs, so then they'll buy a skirt that just comes right up to, well, you know, what is, you know, you'll, you'll go on Wikipedia. What is considered the thigh? Three centimeters above the, you know, kneecap is considered the thigh. So then you put on a skirt that comes right up to the knee, and you say, well, I'm covering my thigh. Now, here's the problem. Let me just give you some food for thought, okay? Here's the problem with that. Because the goal is to what? Cover your thigh, right? Now, when you put on a skirt right to here, as you're, you know, and, and you see them walk in, and they're like, if, look, if you're going to be doing this, just get a longer skirt. It's okay. You say, fabric's expensive, right? <laughs> So you walk in, you go, well, I got my skirt right up to my thigh. But here's the problem. As soon as your little skirt right up to your knees, as soon as you sit down, whoop, and you just expose half your thigh. I'm just trying to help you because the Bible says that it is wrong to expose your thigh. It is wrong to show your nakedness. It's a shame. We ought to be embarrassed of it. We ought to be ashamed. What to God would get back to society that would be ashamed of their nakedness. Now, let me, let me just go ahead and help you that are gung-ho. The next time a first-time guest walks in with a miniskirt, you ladies, don't give her a bad look. Don't, don't, bless God, doesn't she? Look, we're here to reach people that maybe, you might be here tonight, you've never heard this before. That's okay. We're growing. We're learning. But either way, the Bible teaches that we ought to have shame in Nakedness. Point number two, Isaiah chapter 20. Look at verse one. Point number two, not only is there a shame in nakedness, number two, there's a shame in trusting man. Now let me give you the context, now that we understand. And by the way, I don't believe that Isaiah was exposing himself to the opposite gender. Because that would be a sin. And God would not ask Isaiah to do something that goes against what we already saw. It's a sin for the opposite gender to see each other in nakedness when you're not married to each other. Now, in marriage, you know, it's, 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 it's fine, but it's a sin for a man to look at a woman when she's dressed inappropriate. It's a sin for a woman to look at a man dressed inappropriate. So I don't believe that Isaiah was walking around naked in front of children or the opposite gender. Obviously, he was walking around men, and you've got to understand this in the Bible. In, in the Bible, there's nothing wrong with a man being 
naked in front of another man. Now, it's embarrassing. Now, it's a shame. That's why Isaiah was ashamed of it. But there's nothing wrong. It's not sinful. You know, it's not sinful for a midwife to help a uh, lady who's giving child to help her deliver that baby. And she sees her, you know, exposed. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says that's okay. It's embarrassing, but that's not a sin. So I do believe that Isaiah was preaching this sermon. Talk about an illustration. That's why I don't give any illustrations. And that's why I'm going to preach to you a sermon, an illustrated sermon. He starts taking his clothes off. Uh, I believe that that was done uh, to men, not, not to the opposite gender. Isaiah chapter 20, look at verse 1. Not only is there shame in nakedness, but there's also a shame in trusting men. Now, here's what you got to understand. Here's what the Bible is teaching. Here's the context. Isaiah chapter 20, look at verse 1. In the year of Tartan, in the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod. Remember, that was one of our five providences of the Philistines. When Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him. So, the king of Assyria sent Tartan and fought against Ashdod and took it. So, uh, a nation... A city-state, a providence very close to Judah, just got taken over by Assyria. Look at verse 2. At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. For he did so walking naked and barefoot. Say, well, why would God ask Isaiah to do that? Here's why. Verse 3. And the Lord said, like as, or in the same way, my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia. Notice verse 4. So shall, or in the same way, the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners and the Ethiopians captive, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Now you say, well, why would God have Isaiah do this? Go, go back just a couple chapters to Isaiah chapter 18. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were in Isaiah 18, and we were talking about the, 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 the nation in Isaiah 18, and we're not really sure what nation it was, but it's pretty sure that it's I'm pretty sure, at least, that it's Ethiopia and Egypt, which at this time are a united nation. And remember Isaiah 18, verse 2. Look what it says. That sendeth ambassadors by the sea. Remember, we studied that out a couple of weeks ago, that the Ethiopians and the Egyptians were sending ambassadors to Judah. And what were they doing with those ambassadors? They were trying to make some sort of a deal. They were saying, hey, we'll protect you against uh, the king of Assyria. We'll, let's, let's make a deal. Let's have a treaty, and, and we can uh, help you uh, fight against them. Now, here's what you got to understand. Here's what God is saying he, through Isaiah. He's saying, look, in the same way, because he's talking to Judah. He says, in the same way that Isaiah is walking around for three, for three years, naked and barefoot, with his loins uncovered and his buttocks uncovered, he says, in the same way, you are going to see the Egyptians and the Assyrians taken captive by the, by, I'm sorry, the Egyptians and the Ethiopians taken captive by the Assyrians, and you'll watch them as they walk into their captivity naked and barefoot. You say, what's the point? Look at verse 5. Isaiah chapter 20, verse 5. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 5. He says, look, in the same way, like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot, verse 3, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian prisoners and the Ethiopians captive, 
Why would you do that? Verse 5. And they shall be afraid and ashamed. Notice, notice this. Of Ethiopia, their expectation. And of Egypt, their glory. And the inhabitants of this isle shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation. Whether we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. Here's what they're going to say. We were going to Ethiopia to get help from the king of Assyria. We were going to the Egyptians to get help from the king of Assyria. Was this our expectation? Was this what we were leaning upon? Was this what we were putting our trust in? The king of Ethiopia, the king of Egypt, these were the men that were sending ambassadors that were going to help us. And here's what God is saying. When you watch those whom you trust walking naked and barefoot, you're going to realize you put your trust in the wrong people. Now here's what you've got to understand. Go, go to Psalm, Psalm chapter 20. And we're going to look at a few passages in Psalms. Not only is it a shame to walk around naked. Not only should you be embarrassed walking around exposing your thigh, exposing your buttocks on some beach somewhere. You ought to be embarrassed. You ought to be ashamed. You ought to cover up is what the Bible says. It's just as shameful to trust in man. Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 7. The Bible says this, Some trust in chariots. The Egyptians had chariots. Some in horses, the Ethiopians had horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. See, your trust ought to be in God, not man. Go to Psalm 25, look at verse 1. Psalm 25 and verse 1. Just a few pages over, Psalm 25 and verse 1. The Bible says, a Psalm of David. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my voice. O my God, I trust in thee. Notice, notice the correlation. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. See, here's what you got to understand. When you put your trust in man, you will end up ashamed. But when you put your trust in God, the Bible says, let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Go down to verse 20, same chapter, Psalm 25, verse 20. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. How can I not be ashamed? For I put my trust in thee. Go to Psalm 31. Look at verse 1. Psalm 31 and verse 1. Psalm 31 and verse 1. Psalm 31 and verse 1. The Bible says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Go to Psalm 44, look at verse 6. Psalm 44, look at verse 6. Psalm 44 and verse 6. Psalm 44 and verse 6. Psalm 44 and verse 6, the Bible says, For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. He's saying, look, my strength, a nation is saying here, our military uh, strength is not going to save us. I'm not going to trust in my bow. I'm not going to trust in my sword. It's not going to save me. Go to Psalm 49. Look at verse 6. Psalm 49 in verse 6. Psalm 49 in verse 6. Psalm 49, 6 says, they trust in their wealth. There's a lot of people trusting in their wealth today. And boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Look at Psalm 56 in verse 3. 
Psalm 56 and verse 3. Psalm 56 and verse 3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. See, the, the, the nation of Judah, they were afraid. They saw Assyria coming and they said, What are we going to do? They should have trusted in God, but they put their trust in Ethiopia. They put their trust in Egypt. And God had to show them that when you put your trust in man, you'll be ashamed when you see them walking by you naked and barefoot. And you'll be thinking, that's who we put our trust in? That's the Calvary that was coming to help us? Look at verse, I don't know, if you're, you're Psalm 56, look at verse 4. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Psalm 56, look at verse 11. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. See, you'll fear man less when your trust is in God. Psalm 118, look at verse 8. I'm just going to show you a couple more and and we'll get off this point. Psalm 118, look at verse 8. Psalm 118 and verse 8. Psalm 118 and verse 8, the Bible says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Today we have a, a, an entire movement of Christianity that says if we can just get the right political leader, if we can get the right prince, if we can get the pre- a president who's born again, who's a Christian, listen to me, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in riches. Psalm 146 in verse 3, notice what it says. Psalm 146 in verse 3. Psalm 146 and verse 3, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. You understand that man can't help you? You understand that man can't do anything for you? You understand that man is going to be accountable to the same God that you're going to be accountable to? And the Ethiopians and the Egyptians had to answer to the same God that Judah had to answer to. And they said, we're going to trust in Ethiopia, we're going to trust in Egypt. And God says, when you trust in man, you'll be put to shame. And today, there are people who want to trust in man. Today, there are people who say, I'm going to get to heaven because I live a good life. I'm going to get to heaven because I repented of my sins. I'm going to get to heaven because I got baptized. I'm going to get to heaven because I went to church. I went back to church on a Sunday night. I went two times. And that's why I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to heaven because I live a good life. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good husband, because I'm a good wife, because I'm a good father, because I'm a good mother, because I'm a good child. People today all over the world believe that they're going to go to heaven because of how they live their life. And here's what they're doing. They're putting their confidence in man. And when you put your confidence in man, you're going to be ashamed. Because it's better to trust in God. And there are people, uh, Mark 10, 24, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says this, And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered, answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? You know that there's a whole lot of people that were trusting in their wealth four or five years ago? Oh, you don't understand. I don't need God. Do you know how much equity I've got in my house? We knock on their doors. We'd love to invite a Verity Baptist church. If you knew how much money I have in my 401k, I don't need church. Now, they wouldn't say that, but that's what they were thinking. And then one day they saw that equity in their house and they saw that money in their stock market walk by naked and barefoot. And all of a sudden, everything they were trusting in, 
Everything they had their confidence in. If you knew the job that I had, I make so much money. And then God will take that job. And God will take that house. And God will take those finances. And God will take that health. And God will take anything that you're trusting in. And he'll expose it to you. And he'll say, hey, the Ethiopians are judged by the same God that you're judged by. So it would be better for you to just put your your confidence in God. Because when you put your confidence in man, you'll be ashamed. So we see the shame of nakedness. We see the shame of trusting man. Let me give you one more. We see the shame of serving God. You say, what? You know that there's a shame in serving God? You know that there's an embarrassment in serving God? You know that if you do the will of God, at some point you'll be ashamed. At some point you'll be embarrassed. At some point you'll, you'll want to hide. Look at Isaiah chapter 20. Look at verse 2. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 2. We can do this quickly. We'll be done. We'll get cake and ice cream. You can forget about this sermon. Hey, Pastor, I really liked it when you were telling people not to judge me. (laughs) Welcome to Sunday night. Isaiah chapter 20, look at verse 2. At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go, and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. Now put yourself in the story. We know that God doesn't speak audibly anymore. We have the entire word of God. But imagine if God spoke to you, and God said, Hey, I want you to take your clothes off. (laughs) Would you respond like this? And he did so. Notice, no complaint. No question. See, you and I, here's what you and I would do. God, are you sure? God, what? (laughs) You want me to do what? You want me to walk around what? Naked and barefoot? God, don't you know that's embarrassing? What are my friends going to say? What is my wife going to (laughs) say? You know? What am, what am I kids? God, this is shameful. This is embarrassing. But notice, Isaiah, he didn't question it. He didn't comment on it. He didn't, he didn't discuss it. That There was no complaining. There was no dialogue going back and forth with God. The Bible says that he did so walking naked and barefoot. Three years naked and barefoot. He just did it. See, Isaiah experienced shame to do the will of God. And here's what you understand. I don't, I don't believe, and, and, and you can't convince me that God's ever going to ask you to walk around naked and barefoot. But I do know this, at some point, God is going to ask you to do something that you're going to be embarrassed to do. At some point, God's going to ask you to speak up. God's going to ask you to witness. God's going to ask you to knock on the door. God's going to ask you to talk to someone. God's going to ask you to take a stand. See, we we preach these biblical standards of of dress, and and they're right, and they're good. And we we teach these Christian young ladies and and young men, you ought not expose your thigh. But let me tell you something. You start wearing, you start dressing the way that God wants you to dress. At some point, you're a teenager. At some point, someone's going to laugh at you. Why are you dressed like that? Everybody else is wearing a bathing suit. Everybody else is showing their, wearing their miniskirt. And God's going to ask you to do something that you're going to be embarrassed about. Isaiah experienced shame to do the will of God. Hey, by the way, Jesus experienced shame to do the will of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. If you, if you go from the back, if you find the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the 
Old, uh, Old, New Testament, Revelation, right before Revelation, you got the book of Jude, it's one chapter. Right before Jude, you got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, very short books. Uh, right before the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Ju- uh, John, you have 1st, 2nd Peter, then you have James, then you have Hebrews. Get to Hebrews, chapter number 12. Hebrews, chapter 12. Now keep your finger there in Hebrews, because we're going to leave it, and then we're going to come back to it. But let me just show you some verses. Hebrews, chapter 12. Look at verse 2. Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse 2. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, notice what the Bible says about Jesus, endured the cross, despising the shame. You know what the Bible says that Jesus was ashamed as he hung on that cross for you and me? Not only was he embarrassed, but he hated it. Look at what it says. He endured the cross, yes. But the entire time, he was despising the shame. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to hang on that cross. Remember, he asked God in the garden as he prayed. He said, if this cup can pass from me, God, he said, if, I can, if there's any way I can not do this. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. He did it. He endured it, but he didn't like it. He despised the shame. And is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isaiah experienced shame to do the will of God. Jesus experienced shame to do the will of God. Keep your finger there in Hebrews. Go to Acts chapter 5. I've just got a few passages. We'll do them quickly and we'll be done. Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 20. Not only did Isaiah experience shame to do the will of God, not only did Jesus experience shame to do the will of God, you know what? The early church experienced shame to do the will of God. Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 20. Acts chapter 5 verse 20. Acts 5.20, the Bible says this, And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles, notice what they did, and beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They beat up the apostles because they were preaching about Jesus. Notice their response, verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The early church experienced shame to do the will of God. Jesus experienced shame to do the will of God. Isaiah experienced shame to do the will of God. Notice Paul experienced shame. You're there in Acts. The next book is Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Notice what Paul said. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul said, Paul said this. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Go to Philippians chapter 1. You're there in Romans. Go past First and Second Corinthians. Go past Galatians. Go past Ephesians. And go to Philippians chapter number 1. Look at verse 12. Philippians chapter 1. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? The context of Philippians. Paul is writing from prison. Notice what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. 
He said, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He's saying, Hey, what's happened to me? What happened to you, Paul? I got beat. I got in prison. I'm in jail right now for preaching the gospel. He said, But all of it happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13. So that my bonds, you see that word bonds? He's talking about being in prison. He's talking about being a, a, a captive. He says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Skip down to verse 20. Philippians 1. Go to verse 20. Look what it says. You can read the rest of it on your own if you'd like. we got to hurry up. Philippians 1. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope. Now notice, Paul is in prison for preaching Christ. Paul is under bonds for preaching the gospel. And notice what he says in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, notice what he says, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Go to 2 Timothy 1. You're there in Philippians, go past Colossians, First and 2 Thessalonians, and then you'll find First and 2 Timothy. Philippians, Colossians, First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy. Notice what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. One, look at verse number 8, 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Paul said this, Be not thou therefore, this is Paul speaking to his young disciple uh, Timothy. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He said, Don't be ashamed of your testimony of Christ, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, notice, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 16. Skip down to verse 16. Look what he says. 2 Timothy 1, 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Paul said, hey, don't be ashamed of me. Paul said, hey, don't be ashamed of my chains. Don't be ashamed of my bonds. Don't be ashamed of my Lord. Go back to Hebrews. I'm going to show you two verses. We're done. Hebrews 13. Look at verse 13. Here's what you got to understand. At some point, you may experience shame to do the will of God. Jesus experienced shame. And notice what Hebrews 13, 13 says. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him. Now, in the context, the him there is Jesus. And the reference is to the idea of we're going to him in his shame. Notice, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Let me, let me ask you this. If Jesus suffered the shame of dying on the cross for you and for me, if Isaiah had to suffer shame to serve God, if Paul suffered shame, if the apostles suffered shame, if everyone who serves God is going to suffer shame, don't you think that at some point you're going to suffer shame? You're going to be embarrassed? God's going to ask you. And look, there, there are people who say, I can't go soul winning. I can't go knock on somebody's door. I can't go preach the gospel to somebody. Why? I'm so embarrassed. Some people say, I can't get baptized. Why can't you get baptized? God commands you to get baptized. God wants you to get baptized. Oh, I can't do it. I'm just too embarrassed. 
Doesn't it seem silly compared to the shame that these men, that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ bore for you and I? See, at some point, God's going to ask you to do something. Listen, young people, you come to a church like Verity Baptist Church and we teach you standards and we teach you the Bible and we teach you that, hey, you ought to be pure and you ought to be a virgin. And, and, and I've told you boys and I've told especially you girls, you're out somewhere and some boy wants to put his hands on him. I don't, I, your mom and dad may get mad, I don't know, but you have your pastor's position, per, permission to knock that boy out. He wants to touch you. He wants to caress you. He wants to put his lips on you. You say, hey, uh-uh, I'm saving myself. Now listen to me. You take that stand, someone's going to mock you. You start saying, hey, I'm better than that. I have some self-worth. I'm a child of the king. You start acting like that, someone's going to make fun of you. You start living right. Hey, gentlemen, you're at work. They start telling those dirty jokes around the water cooler. And you say, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I don't. They're going to mock. They're going to laugh. Oh, you're some sort of a Bible thumper. You're some sort of a fuddy duddy. I, I don't know if that's a Christian or some sort of a chip. All I'm saying is this. Be like Paul and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of my Lord and Savior. If he was able to endure the cross and, and, and he was able to, and, and he, yeah, he despised the shame, but he endured it. He went through it. If Isaiah could do something that would embarrass him, but he said, if, God, if that's what God wants me to do, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is what God told me to do. Hey, if Isaiah could do it, and the apostles could do it, and Paul could do it, and Christ did it, you do it. Don't be ashamed for the gospel of Christ. Don't be embarrassed. Let me show you one more verse. We're done. Hebrews 11. Look at verse 16. Here's my fear. See, your fear is that you're going to be embarrassed for God. Here's my fear, and this ought to be your fear. That God would be embarrassed of you. Say, God embarrassed of me? Hebrews 11, look at verse 16. But now they desire a better country. This is talking about believers. That is in heavenly. Wherefore God, notice, is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Here's what the Bible teaches. When Christians desire a better country, when they don't want to be of this world, but they want to be of a better world, when they begin to live with a purpose of of a holy life like I'll have in heaven, the Bible says that God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, the reverse to that is true. When you're a worldly Christian, when you're ashamed of God, then God will be ashamed of you. You say, I'm so embarrassed to take a stand for Christ. You know what I'm afraid of? That Christ will be embarrassed of me because of the lack of stand that I take. Because I'm not serious about the Word of God. Because I'm not serious about the things that God says. See, in this little short chapter in Isaiah, we find three shames. The shame of nakedness. You ought to be ashamed. We find the, the shame of trusting in man. Man will let you down. Just mark it down. Every single man will at some point fail you. But Christ will never fail you. And when you put your confidence in God, you'll never be ashamed. But when you put your confidence in man, you better just be ready. You're going to be ashamed. Because one day, whatever you're trusting is, you're going to see it walking down the street, naked and barefoot and captive to the same thing that you're afraid of. And there's a shame in serving Christ. There's a reproach. Sometimes it's embarrassing. 
You know, we ought to be like the apostles. We ought to embrace it. People say you're weird. I say, praise God. I'm glad the world thinks we're weird. I'm glad. People say, well, they walk into our church. That's a, that's a weird church. I mean, you guys, everything about it is weird. I, I praise the Lord. The less we can be like this world, the better. We're a peculiar people. We're called out. And when you're called out of the world, you're called. And with that sometimes comes shame. Just embrace it. Let's bow our